This is Florida Matters. I'm Robin Sussingham. Florida ranks third in the nation for the number of calls placed to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. The Greater Tampa Chamber of Commerce recently hosted a summit on the topic during a luncheon for local business owners. Today, we're going to hear highlights from that discussion. The panel was moderated by Dottie Groover Skipper, who fights human trafficking with the Salvation Army's Florida Division. The guests include Hillsborough County Sheriff Chad Cronister, Assistant Statewide Prosecutor with the Florida Attorney General's Office Julie Circus, Dr. Dion Samerson, Medical Director for St. Joseph's Hospital's Emergency Department, and Elizabeth Melendez-Fisher, CEO and co-founder of Sela Freedom, a Sarasota-based nonprofit that helps sex trafficking victims. We begin with Sheriff Conister describing some of the work his office does to fight human trafficking in Hillsborough. Our biggest hurdle is probably uh, victim cooperation. You know, think about this. The victims, as dysfunctional as it is, the one person that they can trust is the trafficker. That's the one person they'll know what they're getting, whether it's their drug fix, whether it's their food, whether it's their housing, whether it's I'm not going to harm your family, whatever the motivation may be, that's the person they can trust. So that's been, from a law enforcement standpoint, our biggest obstacle is to get the victims to want to cooperate. But we have a multi-pronged approach, uh, no different than any other type of crime problem that we have. We're not going to arrest our way into a safer neighborhood. We're not going to arrest our way out of the opioid problem, the mental health crisis. This is no different. This is going to take a multi-pronged approach. We target the Johns, the people who are out soliciting sex. We target everyone that we can uh, on the internet. So we, we're constantly, we have a um, couple detectives that do nothing but monitor social media, looking for those keywords, those chat rooms. And then again, it's, it's enforcement. When, when we're out and about, we're doing our own reverses, our own stings. So enforcement's certainly a large part of it, but the reason I'm excited to be here is, again, the awareness, the prevention, the education, uh, changing this culture of behavior. I'm Elizabeth Melendez-Fisher. I'm one of the founders and CEO of Sela Freedom. And I love that he said the hardest part about it is the survivor because you're so 100% right. And when we started this back in 2010, so I'll help you understand who we are. Our main part is just the girl, your own little girls, your own little boys, any zip code across the country. Florida just happens to be really big with it happening. But one out of three little girls today are sexually abused anywhere. One out of five little boys. So when a little boy or a little girl is sexually abused starting at three, four, five years old, their whole framework is off. So when they keep that secret by someone that's supposed to love them and protect them, statistically by the time they hit puberty, 12 to 14, something snaps and they can't take it anymore. And what that will look like is a kid starting to act out, a girl starting to get promiscuous, a boy's getting in trouble. I'm always like, okay, if a seventh grader's having a lot of sex, there's no such thing as a seventh grade slut. Something happened to this little girl. But when these kids run away, within 48 hours, 80% of them, literally running from dad that won't leave them alone at home, 80% are approached by a predator who now just has to say, are you hungry? Do you need a place to stay? I'll love you. So the sheriff is brilliant because they think that's their boyfriend, their best friend, their only trusted person. And he will sell them 15 to 40 times a day, typically for seven years. 
and they run from law enforcement, and they run from everyone that's trying to help them. They say with domestic violence, it's seven to eight times of intervention, or with any chronic abuse where someone will even receive help. Some of our girls we chased for two years with law enforcement's help. So now our greatest passion, we have a four programs. Prevention, Michelle Gaines is looking at a pilot program with us statewide, Department of Education. We have K through 12 curriculum, and then we have our outreach program where we partner with all these guys, and we try to reach the girls everywhere, and we run after them, and we chase them, we help them know they're worth it. And we have started one of the first prostitution court diversion programs in the country. Everything's modeled out of Florida. Like, you guys are what we take nationally. We've done everything here with this team. And then we do safe housing, because unfortunately, um, we opened our doors only to 18 and older because most of the girls, when they're on the streets, 12 through 17, they don't want anyone to help them. They run. They, that population is so hard to help, but when they're 18 to 23, they've been beaten enough and they're tired. And we help them. 75% of them that come to us will not return to the streets, 100% get their GED. Hello, everybody. Again, my name is Julie Circus. I am a prosecutor with the Office of Statewide Prosecution, which is under the Office of the Attorney General. Our office fights human trafficking on several different fronts. Uh, first off, with the Office of Statewide Prosecution, we work hand-in-hand -hand with our local partners, um, sheriffs, local police, and federal law enforcement agencies in the investigation and then prosecution of human trafficking cases. We also work hand-in-hand with Dottie's group, the Salvation Army, with Open Doors, with Sale of Freedom, to find resources to stabilize and help the victims, so now hopefully survivors, of human trafficking. While the most important thing we can do is prosecute their traffickers from a legal standpoint, for me, it's also the most important thing to stabilize and rescue victims of human trafficking and giving them a stable and healthy life and then we can prosecute their traffickers when they are ready. An example is in the first week of General Moody being on the job, we, along with the St. Pete Police Department and Homeland Security, were able to arrest a group of seven individuals who um, were trafficking a teenage boy who they first met, one of which from Louisiana, first met on the Discord chatting application. Um, so that's just an example of the type of work that I do. Hi, good morning. Again, my name is Dion Samerson. I am the director for the emergency department at St. Joe's, Maine, and chair over the St. Joe's, Maine, North, and South hospitals. It's one of the largest uh, or busiest emergency departments in the country. And I think that it's important to point out that most of these traffic victims, almost 100% report that they've had some kind of physical or health issue during their time of captive. 88% of these victims had contact with a healthcare worker while they were being trafficked. So as an emergency room physician or as a, an emergency room department or one of the busiest in the country, no doubt we are in a unique position to identify and intervene on behalf of these patients. The biggest thing for us, I think, is awareness. You have to be able to survey for these patients. Uh, so I think for our biggest barrier is we need to work on putting together that awareness and identifying those barriers. And Baker has done a really great job of giving us the resources and the team to sort of do that. We have Gail Ryder at Behavioral Health, Liana Dean, who is the chair of the Pasco County Human Trafficking Awareness Committee, 
And that goes even further down to our health coaches in our different hospitals. And I'll speak for Maine in particular. We have a health coach that is responsible for a few issues. One of those is human trafficking. And annually, what we work on is getting education to our staff to say, hey, here are the red flags that you need to look for to help us identify these patients. So we work on that end. I think on the back end, we'd like to see some kind of partnership protocols that we can work with the sheriff on to get these uh, young ladies and in some cases young men help when they do uh, identify and do ask for help. Okay, this is for the Attorney General's office, Julie. What will carry over from AG Bondi's office and what new initiatives are needed? So I know that the Attorney General is very passionate about this and she is already meeting with all of the stakeholders. They are talking about different ways to bring awareness, not just about how to recognize the signs of human trafficking in victims, but also the signs of human trafficking in buyers. That's something that I think that we need to start paying attention to as well. I know that she is working very closely to do a comprehensive review of all of the policies related to human trafficking. She wants to make sure that law enforcement is armed with all of the latest technology that is needed in order to fight human trafficking. She wants to make sure that there is all of the right training available to law enforcement, to our Division of Children and Family Services, to all of the schools and the educators out there to make sure that we are educating our children properly about the dangers of human trafficking. She is also obviously going to provide the services necessary for my office to do their job right now. We're prosecuting over, I think, 50 defendants at this point for either human trafficking exactly or human trafficking-related crimes. And she continues to provide our office with all of the resources that we need to make sure we are helping these victims get the life they deserve and the prosecution of the traffickers so that they get what they deserve. And Sheriff Chronister, you can keep the microphone. Would you share how the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office is working with the state and federal government and with local organizations to address this insidious crime of human trafficking? Over 50% of our, our complaints came in through Child Protective Services. The Sheriff's Office here in Tampa oversees Child Protective Services. So 50% of our complaints came in through there. Our biggest tool that we have is training and working with the Attorney General to develop a curriculum to make sure that our child protective investigators and our deputies and detectives are aware of signs to be able to identify a victim during their, their investigation. I'd be remiss if I didn't applaud Commissioner Overman. She's such a strong advocate for human trafficking and we have just joined now to add another tool to our arsenal and when it comes to these types of investigations. We are crafting a county ordinance where it will be illegal for landlords to be able to rent places to people where we know this trafficking is occurring, uh, whether it be an apartment, a house, or more so these pay-by-the-hour motels that you see around the country that you have here. And again, that's just being armed with the tools to be able to, to go after these types of cases. We've had one case so far this year. It was a 25-year-old who began having sex with a 15-year-old. And once she became comfortable with him, then he started advertising on the internet and encouraged others to come for profit. Obviously, it's, it's money-driven to come in and have sex with this 15-year-old. And we were able to arrest him, one of our most proudest moments so far in 2019. All right, Elizabeth. 
Would you talk about the importance of prevention education, barriers and solutions to get much needed curriculum instructed to our youth? We literally launched a whole different national program and the only two things we're focusing on are prevention and protection. Because if law enforcement is not trained and they do not understand what they're looking at and children aren't taught since they're little what is not okay and what is not love, we don't have a chance. Our country is like going down. And we partner with different child protection centers and they'll even say like in, in Chicago, one of the largest markets, they had one trained person in their whole advocacy center. Every market struggles to have the training, the staffing, people knowing and be able to identify what they're looking at. What we do find is that everybody's throwing tons of money at symptoms today, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, all different behavioral problems. But what our girls will say, I have girls in our program that said, I was put in over 24 rehab centers before I hit 18. My problem was not what I was using. My problem was the shame that I was feeling. So for me, the prevention piece is pinnacle. Like I said, we have curriculum K through 12. And every door you could help us open to get this curriculum, it is so well done and age appropriate. And the places that are like, well, we'll let you in our high schools, but I don't really think we want to. I'm like, oh my gosh, by the time they're in high school, they've been being used for sex for 15 years. And they're probably recruiting other kids by now. Like it is such a learned behavior. I'm down in Sarasota and my kids were at Riverview High School. Venice is right there, Sarasota High School. We had a trafficking ring in our high schools. I bet you guys didn't hear a ton about it because they silence it. It's bad. Florida's a tourism place. But you know what? We have to talk about it. It is generational. Dr. Samerson, can you talk about how doctors can be resources in this fight? I think that for us in the emergency department, awareness, again, is the biggest thing. We have to be able to know, and I think everyone has to identify those red flags. Is the patient's story a little confusing? Uh, is, does the patient have a boyfriend that is overbearing? Are they using drugs? And try not to judge them. Are they using drugs because you know, they have a habit, or are they using drugs because they're using it to blunt the pain? When you're asked, or you're made, or forced to sleep with 10 to 20 men a night, a day, it's tough. So the medical profession, again, coming back to your, your question, is that we need to be aware for pediatricians to ask the right questions in emergency rooms to put the red flags together and say, hey, you know, not everyone who comes in for an STD is a sex trafficking victim, but maybe if they've been here multiple times, maybe if they have traumatic injuries, maybe they just might be and intervene that way. I'm Robin Sussingham, and this is Florida Matters. We're listening to highlights from a recent summit on human trafficking hosted by the Greater Tampa Chamber of Commerce. The moderator is Dottie Groover Skipper with the Salvation Army. She's speaking with Julie Serkis with the Florida Attorney General's Office, Elizabeth Melendez Fisher, CEO of Sale of Freedom, and Hillsborough County Sheriff Chad Cronister. One thing I wanted to, wanted to touch on is the last Super Bowl. We have already begun our security planning for two years from now. There were 179 arrests in Atlanta. 33 of those individuals were the people prospering off the, off the prostitution, and then the rest of them. But think about that. That's 179 that they caught, that they caught, and they started two weeks before the Super Bowl. So we're already gearing our plan to start much earlier, knowing that when big events like that come to the city of Tampa, so does the desire. 
That's right, and as any large event, not only sporting events, but conventions, um, just big, big events bring in traffickers to sell their product. You guys have more strip clubs than Vegas. You are the male sex destination of the country, so your Super Bowl, yeah, I'm glad you're gearing up. I work with Miami now for next year, but you guys are already known for it. So to actually, I can't wait to see what your numbers of arrests are gonna be. And to just jump in on that, mm -hmm. I recently um, was at a conference where the CEO of the Polaris Project, Bradley Miles was there, and he was telling us um, that they did a study um, of the arrests of Johns, and they questioned all of these different men um, who had engaged in commercial sex, not just with children, but with adults, to find out what it would be to make somebody stop. Like, what would have halted them from doing this? And, you know, they asked lots of different questions. Had you known that this person was a victim of trafficking, would that have deterred you? And across the board, the answer was no. The number one thing that would have stopped them is the fear of arrest and the fear of what it would do to their life. So think about that for a second. So maybe in these conversations that we're having gearing up for Miami, for Tampa, is sending out the message of what happens if you get caught. And I think that's also a call to action in the community. Yes. And just so you know, I am not speaking for the Attorney General at this moment <laughs> because I haven't had this conversation with her. But along these lines, I must say, it's a call to action to our community leaders and to our business partners to have a no-tolerance policy in their employment contracts for people arrested for prostitution. Because if people think they can lose their livelihood, and this is just, again, Julie Circus, <laughs> citizen, if people think that not only could they just get possibly their first arrest, which might be a misdemeanor, they might be embarrassed, but they could lose their job, they could lose their home, they could lose their spouse. If the perception of risk is raised, that can be a huge deterrent. What resources are needed specifically from a social responsibility perspective? Career partnerships are extremely important. I was just reading, I was talking to Julie about it, that a sex trafficking survivor is suing a business for $4 million for turning a blind eye. Um, when I was in Atlanta, some of the people staying at the hotels were saying, wow, what a great job. I checked in and they said, don't think hanging your privacy sign is going to really allow you privacy if we suspect something. And so I think that as a business owner or, you know, if you are responsible for employees, the social responsibility of your business, there's so much at risk these days because the laws are changing. I mean, the laws have changed yearly, you know, six laws, six years, eight laws. I mean, it's amazing what's happening. So we no longer can say, I just didn't know. And so corporate partners wanting to be trained, corporate partners wanting to say, I want to be a champion defender. I want to partner with your organization and I will sponsor you to train that Boys and Girls Club. I will sponsor. We have underwriting of the sponsorships that we need. We have staff. We just have to get them everywhere. So there's a ton of ways that you guys can say, I was trained. I had this happen. I did this. I'm responsible for this. And I'm, I'm part of the solution. It's not saying Tampa Bay is one of the worst in the country. And oh my gosh, Florida's number three in the country. But rather, all of the programming we've built, this has now become a model that we roll out around the country. Because of the collaborations that we do here, we roll it out around the country. We just trained 40 law enforcement agencies in Connecticut. 
one guy said it was like walking in with one eye, walking out with two. You know, what can you bring to your staff so that they can help be part of the solution? Oh, go ahead, Julie. Go ahead. I have a different spin on us. It's not a spin. The thought on the state of Florida having the third most calls. That is true. And just so if anybody's wondering who are they calling, it's the national hotline and it's run by the Polaris Project. And the Polaris Project does a study of all of the calls and they ask a lot of questions about who's calling, why they're calling. We may be number three, but it's because we have done such yes. a good job on awareness that people know where to call. So yes, it's not great that we have all of those calls, but it's fantastic that we're getting those calls. And those calls are not just so you know. It's not all somebody reporting that they are trafficked or they're being trafficked. That could include follow-up calls of somebody reporting in that they did get services and they're calling to say thank you. I mean, so I'm not diminishing it. We still have the most calls, but thank goodness because we've got this piece of the puzzle out there. We are becoming very aware. If you uh, don't know what the signs of human trafficking are, uh, the Attorney General's website, if you go to myfloridalegal.com, we have um, something called You Can Stop HT, and you can print it out, and it's a, a little card that will give you what the different signs are to keep your eyes open when you're out there. Something that I think, just to touch on what your question actually was, is what resources are needed from the community, and this is just my thought on it. If you're a lawyer, you can contact any number of the organizations from Salvation Army, Open Doors, Bridging Freedom, Sale of Freedom. They need people who are willing to volunteer their services. We need lawyers who are going to help with immigration. We need lawyers who will help expunging some of the survivors' records, possibly custody issues with their children. If you own a furniture store, there are people that are building safe houses everywhere. They need furniture. Donate some furniture. If you own clothing stores, donate some clothing. If you're a doctor or a dentist, these people need medical care, and they can't truly afford it at this point. But the number one thing a lot of women have said to me when we're trying to convince them to get out of the life is, what am I going to do? Where am I going to live? How am I going to pay my bills? You know, even if they're not being trafficked, just somebody who's in the game. So what do we need? We need volunteers. We need people who are going to be mentors to our young boys and young girls and our older women and our older men and the LGBT community. We need to mentor them. We need to educate them. If you're a teacher or you know teachers, get some people to volunteer as tutors so they can get their GED, their high school diploma. They can go to college. If you have money and you're a great organization, set up a scholarship fund mm -hmm. at a local college um, so we can send these people to school. And if you can offer a job, that would be great. So if you want to know what you can do today, that's what you can do. And if you're a roofer, we need a new roof on our Hillsborough <laughs> County house. <laughs> How has technology made the fight against human trafficking more difficult? And then on the flip side, how has technology helped I'm looking at you, Sheriff. <laughs> sure, I, I, I got the look several times before. 
how technology has hurt us is when people were trafficked, they were overt. They were out in the open. We could see it. It was visible to people. They knew something was, was wrong, and they would call us, and we could go combat the problem that way. Now they hide under the concealment of, of the web, and, and it makes it much more difficult if they're advertised on certain sites or chat rooms. It makes it certainly a, a lot more difficult for us to prosecute cases. On the other hand, we use a lot of technology, whether it's robocalls, we do that with soliciting. Again, we target, we target the need. So we'll send out robocalls to people where they've been arrested before, they've been identified, where they were able to monitor some of their searches on the internet, and we'll send them something to try to entice them. I hate to use the word entice because really it's just offering what they're already looking for. I don't know if that's an enticement. But we can use technology to target those individuals that we already suspect and we're able to build a case against them that way. So it's been a hindrance and a help all at the same time. And Thank as you. a parent, the, the stuff that's going on social media-wise and protecting your own children is harder than ever. So I have a daughter who now my oldest is in college in New York, but um, she and a friend of mine, our daughters were very not popular, just pretty girls, but no one ever asked them out. And they were both raised exactly the same. Don't keep secrets. Don't talk to someone you don't know online. Parents that think that your kids have privacy, like, let me help you understand. No, they don't. Your kids don't have privacy on their apps. I mean... They don't know if they're in danger. So my girlfriend called me one day when our kids were juniors, and she said, I think my daughter needs Sayla. I'm like, what? And she said, Elizabeth, she kept a secret. She has been talking to a man online. We found out he was a man. She thought it was a boyfriend. And he was, you know, because they could just put up any profile picture. And then they start these conversations, and they think that her daughter finally had her first boyfriend. He got her to send naked photos. All of these sexual things that he was recording online, her mom ran a business in town, and he said to her, get your passport. If you do not meet me, we're going to go to Canada. I'm going to ruin your mom's business. And at only that point did all the training that we've poured into our daughters kick in. And she finally told her mom, because that's sort of textbook, they will tell you, they'll ruin your parents. You've got to tell your kids, they'll never ruin me, honey. They'll never ruin me. You could always tell me. But her daughter went that far of a year of secrets. So it's, it's dangerous. And for us, we do parent training. You know, if you work with children, we have something called Sex, Lies, and Media. And it just goes through the most current apps and helps you understand how to look at them and how to look at your kid's history. And it's hard. So, I mean, if that's something, I think we even have it online now that you can just watch it. Because we just want to make our resources applicable and out there. Have you heard of Omegle, Discord, Text Me, Kick Messenger? That's where predators are lying. And they're reaching out to our children, and to other vulnerable people. And they're using those apps to hide. They're coming into your home, and they are recruiting people from right under your noses. That is how technology is hurting us. So as Elizabeth said, just be aware of the games that your kids are playing, who they're talking to through the games. My office is currently prosecuting a man who recruited a girl through Fortnite. Fortnite! He, he enticed her to send pictures of herself to him. And then, like your friend's daughter, was using those pictures against her. And our office was able to, I think this is in Broward County, our Broward office, um, did that arrest. The case out of St. Petersburg. They met through Discord. Discord is not a gaming app, it's an online chat system that's used by gamers. You don't know who you're talking to. So it's our job, but all of us, to take care of all of them.
That's it for today's show. You've heard from Hillsborough County Sheriff Chad Cronister, Julie Circus with the Florida Attorney General's Office, Dr. Dion Samerson with St. Joseph's Hospital, and Elizabeth Melendez-Fisher, CEO of Sale of Freedom. You can find today's show on our website, wusfnews.org. Just click on the Florida Matters tab. Our show is produced by Stephanie Colombini and is a production of WUSF Public Media. I'm Robin Sussingham. Thanks for listening.